Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. My heart, my passion is to share things this week that would help you prepare for ministry, a lifetime of ministry. When I initially came this week, I was thinking about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a very important thing. After being here with you all and interacting and talking and having conversations and being in the lunchroom and being in the cafeteria, it seems to me that a different message would be appropriate for this second session on today. So I want to ask you guys to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The reality of life, the Bible says, in this life you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. The reality is, as gospel carriers, as ministers of the gospel, whether God takes you onto the mission field, whether God puts you in a classroom, if God has you in sports management, God has you in counseling, God has you in nursing, no matter where God has you, the reality is you're going to encounter tribulation. And the question becomes, how in the world will you manage that tribulation? There's a myth afloat that if you walk with God, you serve God, you live for God, that you will not encounter tribulation. We have this myth that, that if you are obedient to God, then you won't face the attack of the devil. And that couldn't be any further from the truth. The reality is, typically, it's a good indication you're doing what God wants you to do because you begin to face satanic adversity. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, he gives us some principles to know what to do when we feel overwhelmed. What do you do when you feel like life is overtaking you? What do you do when you feel like you are under attack? And so you read 2 Chronicles chapter 20 in its entirety in your devotional time tonight. Smile at me. You'll read some principles from there. I want to put an emphasis on verses um, um, 16 through 20. And the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the anger of the Philistines and of the Arabians who, who were near. I'm sorry, I'm in this wrong chapter. I need to get the right chapter first, right? Um, there we go right there. All righty, here we go. This looks better. All righty. Um, and he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jerusalem. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem. The reality is that as you all embark upon ministry, as you all do what God's called you to do, Satan is going to attack you. You won't have time to go pick up your notes. You won't have time to go back and go through your file, look up the papers that you have written. Satan's going to attack you. And the question is going to be, how in the world will you respond to the attack? 
I was sharing with the girls basketball team and a group of students yesterday at lunchtime. I'm a former athlete and my nickname was Woe Dog. There wasn't a battle on the court. I wasn't ready to fight. The challenge is when you come to ministry, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by his spirit. I don't care how big your type A personality is. I don't care how well you've succeeded in academia. Does not matter what your athletic prowess is, does not matter how aggressive you are, how are you going to respond when Satan attacks you? So I wanna give you guys some principles today, some, some, some truth today on how you can overcome being overwhelmed. What do you do when life attacks you? What do you do when you become fearful? What do you do when you become disillusioned? What do you do when you become distracted? What do you do when you become discouraged? What do you do when you become attacked by the devil or enemies around you? We read this story of Jehoshaphat. It actually picks up in 2 Chronicles chapter 17. And it tells you about what kind of man Jehoshaphat was. Um, Jehoshaphat wasn't no wimp. Jehoshaphat was not afraid per se. Jehoshaphat was accomplished. Jehoshaphat had achieved some things. Jehoshaphat was God's man. Yet in verse one, we see that Jehoshaphat is now under attack. He says here in verse one, and, and, and this Moabites, and after this, the Moabites, and Ammonites, with the, um, within some of them, the Meunites, and everybody else who wasn't right, came, that's a joke. <laughs> Smile at me. Came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are at Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. What do you do when you're under attack? We see now here that that Judah's under attack. And as you look at this book in Second Chronicles, chapter 20, it's an extremely long chapter with some principles tucked in there. But let me give you my thesis for today. My thesis is your belief in God leads to your relief from God. Your belief in God leads to your relief from God. Now, when I say belief in God, I'm not talking about your positional belief. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have a position in Christ. We have a victorious Christian life because of our position in Christ. And your position in Christ is established because you place your faith in his death, his burial and his resurrection. Amen. But when you're under attack, your experience of the relief of God is predicated upon not your positional belief, but your practical belief in God. See, it's one thing to believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection generically for salvation. It's another thing to believe God when you're under attack. It's something different to believe God when one of your staff members are, are tearing down your name. It's something different to believe in God when people are attacking your character, attacking your work, attacking what you're about, attacking your substance, attacking your character. It's something different to have practical belief in God Amen. versus having a positional belief in God. It's not an either or, it should be a both and. And so we see here that, 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 that the solution that he tells them is, you know what? You all need to believe in God. 
as you all face your challenges, as you all face your frustrations, the question becomes, will you believe in God? He says in verse 20, and they arose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God. This is not merely just a positional, but this is a this is a practical belief. Well, man, what do you want us to believe about God? And, and, and boy, what should we believe about God? How can we trust God? How can we have confidence in God? How can we trust that God is going to come through and, and be for us? Um, how can we trust that if God is for us, then who in the world can be against us? How many of you all face challenges? How many of you all face attacks? How many of you all face enemies? Do you have a strategy that when you face attack, when you face your enemies, when you're in the midst of a satanic battle, you know what to do? Let me give you um, two things. Number one, you need to make sure that, boy, you believe in God. And number two, you need to make sure that you rest in God. You know, it's kind of like a seesaw. The greater your belief in God, the less the less you're going to be fretful, the less you're going to be worried, the less you're going to be falling apart. I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned, but you should not be falling apart. You should not be chewing your um, 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 fingernails apart. You should not be running in fear when you are walking with God. And the stronger your belief in God, the greater your relief in God. So let me give you let me give you five things you ought to um, um, believe in God. Number one is you ought to believe in God's providence. How do y'all believe in the providence of God? You know, it's interesting. We can do strategic planning and we can put together vision boards. We can do all those things. But the greatest thing in the world is the will of God. What does God have in store for my life? What does God have for my direction? And you will learn that God can do more for you than what you can ever do for yourself. You guys are not here by mistake, but you are here on purpose. Your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your experiences, your personality. God has set you up because God wants to use you for his glory. God wants to use you for his honor. And what God is doing right now, God is putting you on a trajectory because God wants to use your life. How many of y'all believe in the providence of God? That God knows how to place you. Let the Holy Spirit be your booking agent. The Holy Spirit knows exactly where God wants to take you, exactly what God wants. To you got to trust the providence of God. Number two is the protection of God. How do you all believe in the protection of God? That God can secure me. God can take care of me. God can watch over me. God can make sure that nothing happens to me that he has not ordained to happen to my life. Number three is the prominence of God. You know what the reality is, is that, boy, our plan falls in the context of God's plan. Our story falls in the context of his story. And but the better you are aligned with his story, the better your story will be. And so you got to understand God's prominence. God is great. God is awesome. He declares the end from the beginning. Um, but who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his count? God is prominent. God is great. God, uh, all of this is for God's glory. So when you begin to pray, the basis of your prayer becomes, God, this is about your glory. God, this is about your honor. God, this is about your reputation. God, this is about your people. God, this is about your kingdom. And so, God, I come to you, God, and I ask you to do A. I ask you to do B. I ask you to do C because you are the God. And God, you've got power. You know, being in 
being in um, Christian university, being in seminary, being in Bible college, you think the curriculum is what happens on the syllabi. But God's got an invisible syllabi. And that invisible syllabi is, boy, these are the situations and the circumstances and the predicaments that God allows you to encounter so God can let you know he really is God. And he really is strong and he really is powerful. So when you get off into ministry, you know what? I've already trusted God. I didn't have anything. I don't have anything now, but I know God can take care of me when I have nothing. I've seen God open up doors I didn't even know existed. I've seen God place people in my pathway. I had no idea were there. I've seen God answer my prayers that boy, I had no idea God was. If God is for you, who in the world can be against you? Our God is an awesome God. Our God is a mighty God. Our God is a powerful God. And God wants you to know he is prominent. He is strong wrong and there is nobody like the Lord. Amen. Glory to his name. You ought to believe because of his providence, because of his protection, because of his prominence. Well, how about his presence? He promised never to leave you and never to forsake you. You always got to recognize no matter what room you go into, when you follow God and you're on God's assignment, there's an extra person in the room. When you go and negotiate, they may bring three with them. You may bring three with you, but it's a seventh person in the room dealing with a difficult situation. You know what? There's an invisible person. It's the person of God. It's the presence of God with you. How many of y'all believe in God's presence? You know, it's interesting how much we do in, in Christian ministry, not dependent upon the presence of God. You got to believe in the presence of God. Amen. That if God is with me and that if God is for me and God is walking with me and God is guiding me and God is directing me and God is reassuring me and God is challenging me and God is interceding for me. If God is for me and if God is with me, I can manage this. How many of you all trust God when you're in the library? I know, I know, I know when finals come, you trust God, don't you? Lord, I ain't seen this stuff before in my life. <laughs> but how many of you all practically believe in the presence of God and then you ought to believe the power of God? How many of y'all really believe that God has power? Guys, we don't want to be we don't want to be theologians, but practical atheists. We can outline God. We can detail God. We got footnotes about God. We got books about God, but we don't have belief in God's power. Let me give you an indication of how much you believe in God's power. What is your prayer life like? Prayer is a declaration of dependence upon God. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't strategize. I'm not saying you shouldn't research. But, but, but how much time do you say, say, God, you know what? This is beyond me. Apart from you, Lord, I can do nothing. But God, through you, I can do all things, God. How much time do you spend in prayer because you believe in the power of God? You believe in what God can do. How many of y'all trust that practically Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Meditate upon that passage. That I may know him, that's knowing Christ, that's knowing God. And then he says, he says, ex-exangelical chi, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. 
We want to know him, but we often don't want to experience the power of his resurrection. See, we often want a testimony, but we don't want to go through the test. To get to the testimony, you've got to go through the test. You're not going to speak passionately. You're not, going to, you're not going to speak boldly and confidently about the power of God if you have not experienced the power of God. So what does God do? God puts you in positions where you need his power. He puts you in circumstances when only God will do. He put you in positions where the only way you could explain how you got out of it and you got through it was that God showed up. Why should we trust God? Why should we believe in God? We ought to believe in God because of his promise. We ought to believe in God because of his protection. We ought to believe in God because of his promise. We ought to believe in God because of his presence. We ought to believe in God because of his that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Well, but what's the power of the resurrection? The power of the resurrection is that an innocent man was killed, he was buried, he was placed inside of a tomb. It had been prophesied thousands of years in advance that he was going to be raised up on, on behalf of mankind. He would stay there for three days. After three days, he would be raised from the dead. Let me ask you a question. How much power does that take to bring somebody from death to life? Here's the reality. That power is accessible and available to you. You ever thought about that? The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, God makes accessible to you. So I talked to a husband and wife yesterday and they said, you know what, we're done. We're getting divorced. There's nowhere in the world we can move forward. Don't miss when God does something incredible and God does exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all we can ask or think. And when God shows up, yeah. see, boy, you never had a child who was born with spina bifida. They said he'll never walk. And you lost count of how many surgeries he had. But then next month, he's going to be graduating with his, uh, with his bachelor's degree and he's getting a degree in cybersecurity and he signed a six-figure contract for a job for a boy when he was born and had a surgery at 23 hours old and had another surgery at nine, um, nine days old, had another surgery at six months old and they said he'll never walk and he have cognitive difficulties. He scored in the top 10% in the country on the standardized test scores and now he's got a job and God has done exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anybody's expectation. How many of you all believe in what God can do? This ain't just theory. It's not just classroom. It's what God can really do. He comes down here around verse 13. You guys good? Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. The spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benai, son of Jeel, son of Em, a Levi, the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem, King Jehoshaphat, thus says to the Lord to you, 
Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed when the odds are stacked against you. You read verse one and verse two, you see three groups of people who are about to come against Jehoshaphat and his crew. These are not just small armies. These are large armies. These are powerful people. And they're about to, he says, do not be dismayed. Do not be afraid at the great horde. Why not? For the battle is not yours, but God's. You know, when you have accomplished people, when you have people who have achievements, when you have people who have ability, when you have people who have academic standing, our natural tendency and instinct is not to stand down and let somebody else fight for us. Our natural tendency is to put up our dukes and say, you don't know what you're into right now. But he says, here, I need you to stand down. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I know the money is not there. I know the people are not there. I know the phone is not ringing for you to get a job. I know things don't look good. I know things are uncertain. I know the morale is low. But let me tell you something. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Well, Lord, that's the natural thing to do. He said, who told you you were only natural? You serve a supernatural God. The Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of you. You are not immortal, but you do have connection and contact with the supernatural. Will you tap into his life? Galatians 2.20 is a very important verse here. I've been crucified with Christ. The longer I who lives, but Christ who lives, 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 lives. It's an emphatic that he lives in me in the life I now live. I live by faith in the son of God. It's the exchange Christian life. It's the victorious Christian life. We together. It's not what I can do for myself, but it is Christ living through me. So how do you rest in God? He tells us here. He tells us here. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Verse 16. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up at the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jerusalem. Watch this now. You will not need to fight in this battle. He repeats what he said, you know what? This battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. You will not need to fight. Well, well, well if it's a fight, I'm supposed to fight, right? No. Not the Lord. He says, do three, um, three things. Number one, stand firm. Number two, hold your position. And number three, see the salvation of the Lord. That's the most unnatural. That's the most stupid thing I could ever hear in my life, right? It's a battle. It's a fight. They're coming against you. I want you, number one, I want you to stand firm. What does that mean? That means exercise your faith. That means instead of falling apart, that means, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to stand firm in God. I'm going to I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe the sovereignty of God. I'm going to trust the providence of God. I'm going to trust the power of God. I'm going to trust the presence of God because God knows exactly what he's up to. We're tracking together. There's a myth about spiritual warfare. 
People envision spiritual warfare. You know what? I'm going to put my battle fatigues on. I'm going to get my weapons together. And boy, we're about to go in here. We're about to have a fight. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. That's not the biblical motif of a biblical warrior. Are we tracking together? Start chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This word strength, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not dunamis. I mean, this word might, it's not dunamis. This term is, it's, it's, um, it's um, iskus. It means power that originates with God. Don't stand strong in your power. Stand strong in God's power. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God. Why? To be able to stand firm against the schemes of the, watch this term stand. Then it's an explanatory clause for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world force of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Guys, watch this now. Your battle is not against your neighbor. Your battle is not against your mate. Your battle was not against a deacon board. Your battle was not against a mission board. Your battle is not against the, um, 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 the people who live there. Your battle is against uh, um, the devil. Your battle is, is, is against Satan. The nature of your battle is primarily spiritual and you do not fight a spiritual battle with physical weapons. Are we tracking together? We're engaged in a spiritual battle, but God gives us spiritual weapons. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. Maybe watch this now. Be able to resist in the evil day. Having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore. Let me get another. Spiritual warfare is not about taking on new territory. He declares the end from the beginning. He knows what he has for your life. Ephesians 1:3 says, You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Watch this now. Spiritual victory is standing and maintaining and holding on to what God has ordained for your life. God's got something for you. God has blessed you with something. Your job is to hang on to what God has given you. Back to 2 Chronicles. Number one is stand firm. Number two is hold your position. Don't move. Don't flinch. Don't run too fast. Don't throw in the towel until God says you're done. Hold your ground. And number three is see the salvation of the Lord. In other words, watch what God does. Y'all still with me? Look at verse 22. I'm going to close right here. Start at verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. When I taking counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing um, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. The Lord. See, y'all missed that part. And, and when they began to sing and praise the Lord, set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Jerusalem, so they were routed. 
for the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. Hold on now. Devoting them to destruction. So they came together to fight against Jehoshaphat and his people. Well, when God starts fighting the battle, he gets people to turn against one another. He's watched this now. When they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. God can do amazing things, uncanny things. When we trust him, when we hold our grass, ground, stand fast, and watch the salvation of the Lord. So God, we come to you now, Father, and I pray for each of us, myself included, God. We face our battles. We face our enemies. We don't become dismayed. We don't become afraid. And neither do we become prideful, arrogant, and self-sufficient. May we trust you. May we believe in you. Because our belief in you is correlated to our relief from you. It's in Jesus' name, pronounced it all. God bless you. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.